My dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day, my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash mpn to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash mpn. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. Mmm, ooh, guys, you have great questions. Again, who in the hell writes these questions? I know you do, but my God, these are great. Um, wow. Uh, I thought this was going to be an easy question. Usually you get to the last question. It's like, just take it home. Um, that is a really good question. So, Hello and welcome to Tiny Giants, the creator economy show where the focus is on career over celebrity. This is the show where I reach past social media stardom to focus on the careers and market trends that make the creator economy just that, an economy. We do this by highlighting and uplifting niche-specific creators that the uninitiated doesn't necessarily have a concept of or full appreciation for, or as we like to call them, tiny giants. You ready? Let's go. Yo, yo, and welcome back to another episode of Tiny Giants. I am your host, T. Adela, your favorite former 400-pounder getting you fit on all things creator economy. So today is Tuesday, which means we're going to do a solo episode. How the shows run is that Tuesdays I reserve for myself to just, you know, Share any thought leadership I want to get out to you or bring you an article, news or event I think should be on your radar. And then we reserve Thursdays for our interviews. So how the solo episodes run is that we start off with a talking point, a discussion point. Then we move on to our MarTech moment segment. From there, we go to pay a few bills because we are ad supported. We are proudly a member of the Marketing Podcast Network. And thank God for that because child support does not pay for itself. And then after the commercial break, we move on to our Creators Crushing It segment where I do a high level, quick, dirty analysis of a creator who has achieved a level of success and try to guesstimate how much money they make in their business. And then finally, we end with a parental perspective. So today we're going to pick back up with part two of overvaluing experience. So in part one, I covered a recent search engine land journal that covered Google's EEAT update for its quality raters. So very quick breakneck level place. And I'll link up part one in the description where I go over in detail the article and the update But at a high, high level to understand what's going on is that ever since Google was incepted, 
you have had bad actors whom some people refer to as black hat, but I don't like that term because it's racist and I'm very intentional about not using it because there's nothing inherently bad about the color black or being black and there's nothing inherently good about the color white. But I digress. All that being aside, there are unethical players who have always tried to game a Google system. And in response to that, Google is constantly trying to stay one step ahead of the bad actors. And in addition to an horribly complex algorithm, which is very, very sophisticated. It employs quality raters to actually review content to make sure that it only has the best content on its search engines, because Google understands that if you get poor search results, you're going to go somewhere else and you do have options. They're nowhere near as big as Google are, but there are other search engines that you can use. So Google is very intent on making sure that the quality of the results on their search engines is top notch. So it has standards that its quality raters adhere to. And a few years back, it rolled out EAT, which stands for Expertise, Authoritativeness, and Trust. And just recently, as of this December 15th search engine journal entry, it updated it with another E for experience. Now it's experience expertise, authoritativeness, and trust. So those are the guidelines that the quality raters are going to look against to rate whether or not a piece of content is quality. And while again, on the whole, I think this is a good thing as per usual, the devil is in the details. And I can see a really big, non-obvious trap in this, especially for the entrepreneurship community. In so far as from my experience and what I've observed, the entrepreneurship community tends to overvalue experience at the expense of proper pedagogy. And I'll dive into what that means in depth in this episode, because in part one, I really went into depth on the actual article and read excerpts. I'm not going to do this this time. This time, I'm just really going to dive into my position and why I say the types of things that I say. One of the foundational stats that this show is founded on is that Adobe did a global survey. This is worldwide. They did a global survey and they found that almost 50 percent. 49% of Gen Z intend to pursue content creation as a career. So in other words, entrepreneurship, digital entrepreneurship, almost 50% of Gen Z intend to pursue content creation as a career and be digital entrepreneurs. Great. Nothing wrong with that. So for those of you who don't know, I was self-taught for 10 years prior to going back to Full Sail University to get my bachelor's degree in digital marketing. And so I graduated in the year 2002, but I didn't go back to Full Sail until 2012. And in that 10 years, I was largely self-taught and I was an entrepreneur and I did a, a swath of things. I did wholesale real estate. I was the inaugural chairperson of the wholesaling subgroup for GD Rhea. I know that sounds like a venereal disease, but it's not. GDREA stands for the Greater Dayton Real Estate Investor Association. So I did wholesale real estate. I did every MLM you can think of, multi-level marketing. I did that. I sold vacuum cleaners door to door. I sold Kirby's for a while. I was just out there getting it, right? I, I was I was really hustling. And so on my journey in that for those first 10 years after graduating high school, I was a devotee of one Robert Kiyosaki, author of the book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, which I still highly recommend. Um, it is an awesome, awesome resource. But in the book, his Poor dad was a college professor, was highly educated college professor. And just the his bent, 
and the overall entrepreneurship community as a whole, they don't value formal education. And they'll say things like, how are you going to teach me something that you've never done? Or I'll take someone with years of experience over someone with a piece of paper um, who's never done it. And there, there's a lot of assumptions baked in there, which I'm going to spend this episode pulling out and challenging. And I would like your feedback on. Please do leave a comment on whatever device you're listening to this on, or you can email me directly, T, the letter T, at tinygiants.tech. First and foremost, let's not pretend as though there's not a difference in value conveyed by a piece of loose leaf paper, a hundred dollar bill, and a check for a million dollars. Okay, they're all quote unquote pieces of paper. Well, technically, the hundred dollar bill is cloth, because for those who don't know, money is made out of cotton, which technically makes it cloth. But all that pedantic stuff aside, you know, let's not pretend as though there's not a difference in value conveyed by the different pieces of paper. So, yes, a diploma is a piece of paper. However, the value that is conferred by that piece of paper matters. It really does matter because when you're self-taught, there can be gaps in your skill set. Because what happened to me and why I finally made the decision to go back and get my degree in digital marketing is that people would seek me out for the service, but I was largely just winging it and I was spinning my wheels and I knew it. And my learning being self-taught on largely Google was highly reactive, meaning I needed to know this. So I went off and I learned this. Or I wanted to be able to do that. And so I went off and I learned that. But the learning was reactive in nature and there were gaps and sometimes gaping holes in my skill set. Whereas when I when you follow a degree program or a learning path, you know, there is no may or may not in terms of what you learn. You are going to be able to do X. Right. And I'll try to find it and I'll link up an old picture of myself where I literally bought every book Robert Kiyosaki ever wrote. Um, I, I played his cash flow game religiously and I was just all in on the teachings of Rich Dad Poor Dad. And from a cultural perspective, entrepreneurs tend to overvalue experience at the expense of proper pedagogy. And pedagogy is just the approach and the method of teaching, right? And so the danger and the giant trap of overvaluing experience is that there's an assumption that because you know how to do something means that you'll be effective at teaching the thing, which is no guarantee. Don't get me wrong. Experience helps. Experience matters. I'm not, And this is not an attempt to try to say that experience does not matter because clearly it does or else Google would not try to be solving for it. However, there's the experience, there's the underlying skill, then there's the ability to teach that skill to others, which is a separate skill. And just because you have one does not repeat, not mean that you have the other. So a quick, dirty experiment that you can do, grab a seven-year-old who is highly adept at technology. She can turn on her tablet and turn on her old Netflix and get to her shows. She knows how to answer the phone. She can even initiate FaceTime calls on her own. The seven-year-old knows what she's doing with regards to consumer technology, specifically tablets and smartphones, right? She can navigate them with ease. Then go grab your nearest septuagenarian, which is just a fancy word of saying someone in their seventies 
who is less adept at technology and only recently begrudgingly got a flat screen TV and loathes it and longs for the day they can have their big, huge tube TV and their, and their rotary phones. Well, rotary might be a little bit too long, but you get my point. They're, they're not technologically savvy and they don't like all the newfangled tech and they're always calling you to do the most basic things for them, like turn on a TV show or set up their phone, that sort of thing. Now, I want you to task the seven-year-old with teaching the 70-year-old how to get on Netflix, how to use the phone, etc. Anecdotally, are there a handful of folks who could probably get that figured out? Sure. But at a high, high level, that experiment is going to end woefully bad for all parties involved, right? Because the seven-year-old, they know exactly what they're doing. However, they probably do not have the ability to teach that to the 70 year old, right? Because the ability to teach is a separate skill. And just because you know how to do something does not repeat, not mean that you are skilled at teaching it. Those are two separate and distinct skills. Yes, one helps with the other, but understand those are two different things. Another quick example. We all have people in our lives who can just get in the kitchen and make it taste good, right? They don't measure. They don't follow a recipe. They have the ability to cook by feel. They can just get in the kitchen and throw down. Now, task that person who cooks by feel and doesn't measure to write you a recipe. And what you'll find a lot of the times is that instead of getting a recipe, what you'll be presented with is a list of ingredients with no measurements because, again, they don't measure. They do not measure. So they can't give you measurements because there are none because they're literally just getting in there, throwing it in a pot and making it taste good. Right. So, again, entrepreneurs, folks who say, you know, I'll take someone with experience over someone with a piece of paper, they tend to overvalue the experience at the expense of proper pedagogy and unpopular opinion. Yes, I will take a master teacher with limited domain experience, but they're a master teacher over someone with a wealth of domain experience, but can't train their way out of a paper bag. Yes, I will take that trade-off because again, the ability to teach is its own separate skill. And I, and I'm sure you have, if you search your experience, have been at the mercy of some otherwise well-meaning people who are competent. And it was just a very, very painful experience trying to learn from them or be trained by them because they weren't good at training. And because of power dynamics and the fact that they were the ones in the front of the class or they were the one teaching me the skill on the job, you know, I wasn't really in a position to challenge them on their poor teaching techniques. And if I didn't learn something, it was my fault for not picking it up, not their fault for just being a piss poor instructor. And that's a very, very frustrating position to find oneself in. Also, I find it very ironic that Google of all people, of all entities, that Google is the one trying to solve for experience when Google largely has undermined the way that people learn. And here's what I mean by that, right? So Google is, you know, we just Google it. Google's a verb. 
Google is where people go to get information. And I wrote an entire book, which you can go read, called Straight Out of Context, Why Google is No Substitute for College in the Information Age of Hashtag Fake News and Misinformation. So one of the underlying issues with learning things on Google is that, in my opinion and in my conclusion, Google has largely undermined the value of expertise and experience because people think they can just get information and then, oh, I'll just take this data point and I'm off to the races. And unfortunately, that's actually not how learning works. So one quick excerpt from an article on instructionaldesign.org, which I'll link up in the show notes. It talks about cognitive load. And it says, quote, the contents of long term memory are sophisticated structures that permit us to perceive, think and solve problems rather than a group of rote learned facts. These structures known as schemas are what permit us to treat multiple elements as a single element. The difference between an expert and a novice is that a novice hasn't acquired the schemas of an excerpt. End quote. So basically what that says is that experts approach the same tax very differently than novices because they have expertise to draw on. And it specifically says that long term memory is not repeat, not a group of learn of rote learned facts. But that's largely how Google treats data and how Google treats information or rather how Google has trained people to treat information. I can just go to Google, Google something, get the fact, get the rote learn fact, have no experience, no expertise attached to it, but I'll still know it because I was able to Google it. And that's not how learning works. That's not how learning works. And that's one of the things that, again, a master instructor is able to bring to the table that someone who is not trained at pedagogy, that's not trained on how to teach, is not necessarily going to have by themselves. Right. So that's the giant non-obvious trap that I want to call out. And I think we can go ahead and, and send this dead horse to the glue factory. But yeah, just because you know how to do something does not mean that you'll be effective at training it. And there's an assumption in the entrepreneurship community that just because they have experience means they're great trainers. And the reality is the vast majority of them suck. That's just a blade and fight me on it. If you want, you'll lose. I'll win. Most folks who have not been trained on how to teach are horrible instructors. Facts. That's just what it is. OK, <clears throat> so again, I'll link up part one in the show notes as well as the search engine journal article that it references, as well as the instructional design cognitive load article that I just pulled from, because I think it's very dangerous because, again, at a high level, I think it's a good thing. That Google is solving for experience. However, I think it's very ironic that them of all people are trying to solve for experience when they've largely undermined learning. And for more on why I say this, and if you agree or disagree, go buy my book. Go buy my book. It's available on Amazon, straight out of context, why Google is no substitute for college and the information age of hashtag fake news and information. It helps support the show, keeps child support off my back. Everybody wins. So now let's transition into our MarTech moment. Now it's time for our MarTech moment segment. So MarTech is just an umbrella term that stands for marketing technology. And it's all of the technology used to achieve marketing objectives. So Facebook ads, Google ads, email marketing, uh, location for Foursquare, that all falls under the umbrella of MarTech. Today's MarTech moment is Scipio.ai. 
Scipio.ai is the world's only community commerce automation platform. Scipio empowers brands to identify, engage, and activate influential voices within its own community to grow exponentially. It also exists to bring together brands, communities, and data that empowers people to become influencers, ambassadors, and advocates. And friend of the show, Jason Falls, recently joined Scipio.ai as his EVP of marketing. So you know it has to be solid in order for him to jump on because if you know anything about Jason Falls, you know his whole shtick is to focus on the result rather than the person. So go ahead and check that out. Today's MarTech moment is Scipio.ai. My dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash mpn to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash mpn. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be to be. All right, now it's time for Creators Crushing It, the part of the show where we do a high-level, quick, dirty analysis of a creator's YouTube channel to see round about how much money they make in their business. Again, this is supposed to be high-level, quick, dirty, not supposed to be very detailed, but it should be directionally accurate. And I go through this more so to demonstrate the process over the you know nitty-gritty mechanics of it. Now, if you want that masterclass, if you want me to go into deep, deep analysis and break out the heavy tools like SEM Rush and do the conversion rate analysis and all that good stuff, let me know in the comments or shoot me an email at t at tinygiants.tech and I can try to put that together for you. It probably will be paid because I got to pay my child support somehow. However, these segments are just, again, high level, quick, dirty, and they're supposed to be directionally accurate. All right. So for today's Creator Crushing It, we are doing Comics Explained. Let me take, come on, let me take some, man. Like, I'm really excited to do this because I've been rocking with Rob for a while now, and I'm very, very excited to do this analysis. So this is Comics Explained. Way back in the day, he used to be Marvel Explained. Then a few years ago, he uh, did Marvel and DC, as well as some other smaller comics. Now he's just comics explained. And he's sitting at 2.18 million subscribers as of this recording. So if you look at the uh, homepage of his YouTube channel, he's got his featured video um, that's performing very, very well. This is actually three years old that he has his video on, but it has 201,000 views. So one of his better performing videos. Then he has a popular um, playlist underneath that. Then his shorts, he's going hard on shorts, which is the best practice because YouTube is really pushing shorts. There's some other playlists because he has playlists galore and his other YouTube channels at the bottom. So that's the homepage of his YouTube channel. And then from there, 
Um, he has his videos, which he has a plethora of, and then his shorts, which again, he's going very, very hard on. He does lives as well. So Rob is doing a lot of the, the best practices. He's doing a lot of the right things, right? He's doing lives. He got his playlists. He's very active in his community channel. He's putting up, um, polls and he puts up polls every few days. So again, a best practice and he gets a lot of engagement on her on his polls. Um, so this poll has 62,000 votes. This other one has 64,000 votes. And so he's getting a lot of engagement on his polls and his community tab. And then he has his store where he sells his merch directly on YouTube and it, and it you know, pops out to the spring store. So that's good. So, and then he has his other channels. So if we pop on over to the about page, right? So this is where we actually do the analysis. He joined on July 9th of 2013. So almost 10 years. So this coming July will be 10 years for him. And in the 10 years he's been on YouTube, he has generated 719,807,843 views. So for the uninitiated, YouTube will pay you three to five dollars per thousand views that you generate because they pay on a cost per thousand or cost per mil basis. So in order to guesstimate his earnings, what we do is we take from the thousands place over, right? Because they pay per thousand views. So forget the last three digits of the views and just take from the thousands place over. So if we take this 719,807 and multiply that by four, because we split the difference, they pay three to five dollars per thousand view. So let's just split the difference, say four dollars per thousand views. And I did this math ahead of time for the seven hundred nineteen million eight hundred seven thousand views that he's generated. He's been paid two million eight hundred seventy nine thousand two hundred twenty eight dollars. So not bad. $2.8 million over 10 years. That's a lot more than a lot of people make. And if we mosey on over back to his videos tab, we see that um, over the last month, this guy's been on the tear. And so he's putting out a video about once every other day, sometimes twice a day, but he puts out about 16 videos a month. And his average video gets about 110,000 views. Some get more, some get less, but on average, his average video gets about 110,000 views. So his average video makes about $440. And again, he pop, he pops these out once every other day to the tune of about 16 a month. Right. And so on average for the last couple months, he's been averaging about $7,000 a month on his YouTube channel. Now I know for a fact that Rob speaks. He speaks on panels at Comic-Con and other places. He also writes his own independent comics as well as he has his um, Patreon. So based on that, based on the fact that he has a Patreon, I'm, I'm going to say his Patreon does well because he gets a lot of engagement. I'm going to say his Patreon does well. And the fact that he speaks and he has his own independent comics as well as his merch with those what four additional revenue streams. I'm going to apply a six X multiplier to his YouTube channel as a base. So using the YouTube channel as a base. And as of right now, he makes about $7,000 a month from his YouTube channel. If we apply a six X multiplier to incorporate the speaking, the Patreon and the uh, merch, 
and his own comic books. For those four additional lines of business, let's apply a success multiplier. That's very conservative. Rob makes about $42,000 a month from his creative business. Again, this could be wildly inaccurate, but that's what I'm going to pick the number at. I'm going to say Rob pulls down about 42 grand a month in his business between the YouTube, his own independent comics, his speaking, his Patreon, and his merch. That's what I'm going to say the number is 42 grand a month. So if you agree or if you disagree or if you, you know, I welcome your feedback, leave a comment, please leave a rating and review, all that good stuff. And uh, yeah, this has been Creators Crushing It with Comics Explained. So now we've reached the final segment of the show, our parental perspective. And uh, not to sound like a broken record, but the parental perspective in part two is the same as it was in part one. Is that just because you know how to do something does not mean that you'll be effective at teaching it. So I caution you and I implore you not to overvalue experience at the expense of proper pedagogy. That is a common blind spot that I see in the entrepreneurship space. One that I was guilty of myself when I was just enamored with Robert Kiyosaki and everything rich dad, poor dad. However, as I matured and as I grew I grew to appreciate proper pedagogy. And yes, this is coming from someone who taught at the collegiate level, but I was very good at what I did. And it was because I dove into pedagogy and I and I implore everyone to not discount pedagogy and to protect proper pedagogy because pedagogy matters. It really does. So that does it for this episode. And I'll see you on Thursday. Tiny Giants is an audio companion to and the first chapter of my first book, Beyond Buzzwords. Social media, mobile, and other marketing buzzwords ain't the half of it. Available on Amazon. If you enjoyed this podcast, chances are good you'll like the book too. I'm proud to say that while the book has aged, it's not dated. Sure, some examples could be freshened up, but strategically, it's as rock solid as the day it was written. Not every author can say that. I encourage you to pick it up and leave me a rating and review. It really helps. I have like one rating on that book from my mom because she loves me. And I'm positive that you'll love it too. Head on over to tinygiants.tech for more episodes and whatever else I have going on. While you're there, leave me a voicemail with your question, comment, or feedback for improvement. I may play that voice recording on a future episode as I answer your question or address your concern. If you, your company, or school needs help with college, career, and creator readiness strategy, or to book me to speak, drop me a line at t at tinygiants.tech. If you or someone you know is doing big things in small or not so small niches, or as we like to call them, tiny giants, and they will make a great guest for the show, email me at t at tinygiants.tech. Thanks for listening, and remember... You get big by going small, but to prioritize career over celebrity. But no matter what you choose, know that I'm rooting for you. You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy. 
Tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.